Hey, good morning, everybody. My name's Jason Espy. I serve as an elder here. And before we uh, do the scripture reading, it'll be Colossians 3, 12 through 17. I just want to encourage you, if anybody here feels discouraged or beat down or defeated, uh, you feel like the, the table of God isn't open to you. It is open to you. I want to encourage you. Come, eat from the Lord. He gives grace to those who need. All right. So starting in verse 12 of chapter three, it says, and so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the, name, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, good morning. Sweet. Thank you for being here today, Calvary Bible Church. I would encourage you to stay there in Colossians chapter 3. That's where we're going to just unpack this morning. But the mission of Calvary Bible Church is to guide all people to become biblical followers of Christ through intentional relationships. That's our mission. That's kind of what we're here for. Our vision, where we're going, is to become a disciple-sending church. By 2028, we hope to win, build, equip, and send 50 leaders to reach 400 local-only families. And this is the year of go out to the world and to the zip code. That's kind of who we are in a nutshell, where we're going. Uh, so today we'll be unpacking Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. And today I wanted to talk to you about living the new life, about living out the new nature, the new life. You know, when I look out at the landscape of the American church, I grow concerned um, because, friends, we live in an era of cheap grace where the grace of God to save us has no strings attached. That I can walk the aisle, be saved, lift my hands in praise, and then return to my old nature. That I can pray a sinner's prayer, get my eternal fire insurance, and then return to work as if nothing happened. In his book, Cost of Discipleship, Diedrich Bonhoeffer tells us about the cheap grace that we have in our modern culture, in the church at large. Uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, if you do not know who he is, he was a professor of, I believe, New Testament or systematic theology in Germany. And he wrote a book in the 1930s called The Cost of Discipleship. And he was actually killed under the rule of Adolf Hitler for his role in, I guess, resisting Adolf Hitler. But Diedrich Bonhoeffer writes this in his book, Cost of Discipleship. And by the way, this is off. 
you should buy that book, Cost of Discipleship by Deidre Bonhoeffer, for like the first page alone. If you ever want to be like completely eye-opened, read that book. Just the first page is just where the price of admission. But he writes this, Cheap grace amounts to the justification of sin without the justification of the repentant sinner who departs from sin. Cheap grace is preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, pardon without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. Cheap grace is to hear the gospel preached as follows. Of course you have sinned, but now everything is forgiven so you can stay as you are and enjoy the consolations of forgiveness. But costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Cheap grace is believing in Jesus. And nothing happens afterwards. Believing in Jesus without any change. To say it is acceptable for one to walk the aisle of church, pray a prayer, and not be changed is like finding the gospel on the clearance aisle of the Dollar Tree. To permit the old nature hanging around cheapens grace. That it's okay to return to sin when Christ so costly sacrificed himself to pay for it friends we are under obligation to live out this thing this is representing the new self the new nature what is redeemed that we are a new creation second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 that this jacket what he uses in Colossians chapter 3 he uses a lot of clothing terms to show our decision that we must make in order to take off the old and put on the new. This represents the new self, and this old, rackety, dusty, dead-skin-smelling jacket represents the old self, okay? That we are to take off the old, put it aside, and put on and live out the new. We are under obligation. But what do we owe God in return? For the grace that he freely gave us. What do we owe Christ Jesus for his sacrifice on the cross? What do we owe the Father for sending his son so that my certificate of debt will be put out of the way? We are under obligation not to earn our salvation, but to live out our salvation. Let me repeat that one more time. We are under obligation not to earn our salvation, but to live out our salvation. Can I, can I get an amen to that? Let me read that one more time, and then I'll get an amen. We are under obligation. Listen, listen. Catch what I'm about to say. We are under obligation not to earn our salvation, but to live out our salvation. Amen? But what's the question? Right? How do we do that? How do we actually live out This thing, the new self, how do we actually on a daily basis live for Christ 
and set aside the old self. The question that Paul answers today is this, in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, is how do we live out the new self personally? What I believe in the text is that Paul is specifically addressing individual Christians, verses 12 through 14, but then he talks about our life together. How do we encourage one another to live out the new self together as a body of Christ? And you'll see that in verses 15 through 17. So if you have your text, Colossians chapter 3, today, that's the question we'll be answering. And let us just kind of remember where we are in the text just very quickly. And the reason I do this is because repetition is theological glue, as my father-in-law would say. So in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, where are we in the book itself? We are right in the middle of the application section of this four chapters. Paul, in chapter 1, gives us this this beautiful uh, treatise of doctrine. I mean, I can't read Colossians 1 without, like, coming to tears. That the Father qualified, transferred, rescued, and transferred us. That we are now, because of the blood of Christ, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That that is the doctrine of salvation. That we are reconciled to God. So then as chapter 2, verse 5, ends the doctrine section, and 2, 6, picks up with the application. And this is the hinge. This is the turning point of the whole book. 2, 6 says this, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, that's what he just got done talking about, so then walk in him. So the rest of the book is how do we walk in Christ? 2, 8 through 15 warns us of what? To not drift away on the waters of the world's empty deceptions. That we, we can't help ourselves. We bring in the lies of the culture in large and we believe them as truth even if they counter the Bible. That is the temptation of all of our hearts. 2.16 through 23, Paul warns us not to be distracted by three different things in the church. The distraction of legalism, emotionalism, or asceticism. But then in chapter 3, Paul turns his attention to you. To all of us as individual believers. What does Paul say in chapter 3 verses 1 through 4? He says to what? Set your mind on things where Christ is above, right? So the point he's making in 3, 1 through 4 is to think on that. Where Christ is and not on this. Let's just be honest here. We consume our brain with things of the world. Amen? Anybody else in we just stress with worry, with disappointment, with hurt. And what does that do to our spiritual lives? It sets us back. Friends, listen, we have so much to be grateful for. There's so much that the grace of God has freely bestowed on us to think on. Colossians 3, 1 through 4, think on that, not this. What we talked about last week is to take off the old, put it aside, and put on the new. This represents the old self that we are to put aside. Things like what? Anger, malice, slander, impurity, immorality. All of these sins that we all struggle with, we should set them aside and put on the new. So today, Paul discusses how do we live out, how do we put on the new self, both personally and together. And today centers on the new self, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If you don't have this... Verse uh, memorized or at least highlighted, do so. Second Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if, conditional statement, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
And the old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Because of the blood of Christ, we are no longer identified. We're no longer finding value in the world's material possessions, what the world says. But now we have been created new by the blood of Christ. So then the question is this. How do we live it? Both as a church and personally. What types of things do we need to do? Notice in your text, verse 12, we see the picture of the new self, 12 through 13, the pinnacle of the new self, and the priorities of the new self. And how do we live out the new self? Well, point number one is this. Living out the new self means to clothe yourself. Notice the singular. This is going to change in verses 15 through 17. To clothe yourself. And that's the kind of verb he talks about. In compassion. That's the first point. Notice verse 12 with me. Man, uh, this is just packed. Just look at it. So as those who, are, who have been chosen of God, holy and blameless. This phrase right here is talking about our position in the new life. As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on. That's the clothing term. Clothe yourself literally in the original language. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Have you noticed here, this talks about how we live out the new life. Um, but notice with me the first word here is the word so. Okay, so that's so, so tells me something. Okay, it, it's actually the Greek word un, which is therefore. It tells me who Paul is specifically addressing in your text. It actually takes us back to Colossians chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. So who Paul is talking about is found in verse 10. And have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman, but Christ is all in, in all. Okay, wait, what? Okay. Pick up everybody. Okay. If you just... Okay. Who is Paul talking about? The whole message of Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17 is reserved. It's not for everybody. It's reserved for those who have the new creation, who have been renewed by the Spirit of God by faith in Jesus Christ. That all of the truths that we're about to see are all reserved to Christians. Now, let me just speak plainly and bluntly, okay? And I might not be politically correct, what I'm about to say in our politically correct society, okay? Just because you've gone to church your whole life doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just because you prayed a little sinner's prayer doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just because you walked the aisle one time doesn't mean you're a Christian. Why? Because none of those things save you. Amen? You are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. I say this all the time. And if it gets to be tired of it, I apologize. Not really. I think we're going to get to heaven one day. And it's going to be a lot more sparse than we think it is, okay? And where is everybody, okay? It's because a lot of people are fooled. That they come to, that, that, that because somebody told them they're saved, that they're saved. It ain't true. Only those who have been born again, only those who have truly believed in Jesus Christ are saved. So what he is talking about is reserved for Christians. And then notice first what he calls us, our position in God. So... 10 through 11, 
as those who have been chosen, chosen of God, those who are renewed by the blood of Christ are those who are chosen by God. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God chose you. Now, I don't want to get off into the whole Calvinism debate. We're not going to go there this morning. But I just want you to receive what I'm about to say. That if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have been born again, then God chose you. That God, sovereign God of the universe, looked down upon all of creation and decided, you know, that Byron guy, he is my child. I'm going to adopt him and am I going to choose him? God chose you. Receive that. Don't get off in the whole weeds of Calvinism and all that kind of stuff, okay? Just receive that God picked you out. You know, he could have redeemed monkeys or something, okay? But he decided to redeem this guy. And all of you that believe, he chose you out of all of the brokenness of your life and all of the mistakes you make on a daily basis. He decided to pluck you out and he decided to adopt you and then take you and transfer you into the family of God and bestow upon you an inheritance and blessings that are unfathomable. He chose you and then he calls you holy. Holy here meaning special or set apart. It communicates our moral and spiritual significance that we're separated from sin and consecrated to God, that we were once unholy, stained by sin, darkened by the world, driven by our flesh, but now redeemed and set apart. That we are chosen, adopted into God's family, and he sets us apart. How did that even happen? Colossians 1, 21 through 22. And although you were formerly alien, hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Third, we are chosen, we are holy, and we are beloved. Now, that word beloved here, it kind of has the old English rhyme to it. You know, you hear it in weddings. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. So it's kind of lost its meaning. So let me just add the word to it. This means God's loved ones. It means that you are loved. Hang on a second. Wait. So God not only chose and adopted you to be part of his family. He not only made you holy, but then he also says he loves you. I'm not going to ask this question. You know the raise your How many of you have ever been part of a family that 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 the parents played favorites, okay? That there are, you know, the special child, right? Or, or, and then we have everybody else. Or, okay, we have the adopted child and everybody else. We all have seen that. But wait a second. We're chosen. God chose me out of all of the sinners in the world. He made me holy because of the blood of Christ was sufficient. And he calls me his loved one. Can you just receive that? That's our position before God. But then how do we live out the new self? Notice what it says in the second part of verse 12. It says, put on. The word put is kind of a better understanding. is to clothe yourself. 
I believe it's an aorist, middle, imperative. The aorist tense kind of gives me the idea of iterative, that we should make the decision again and again and again and again and again and again. It's done. It's over with. Yes, that we are renewed. That the Spirit of God, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, has permanently dwelt within you. But we as individuals must make the decision again and again and again and again to put on. The word put here is also a middle voice. It is a de- decision I make for myself on behalf of my own self and my benefit. So we must put on, clothe ourselves with a heart of compassion. Now, I thought in the original language the word heart would be the word cardia, but it's not. It's a different word, and it's this word, and I'm going to have a hard time saying it. It's splogkanon. Okay, splogkanon. I thought that sounded like a Star Trek name. Okay, um, splogkanon. It literally means the entrails. Um. Put on the entrails of compassion. What is he saying? It is the deepest recesses of your heart. It is the very center of your being. It's talking about the whole person, the total personality at the deepest level. Can I just, um, what, do we, what do we put there? there? There's stuff down there, you know, that you put on in the deepest recesses of your life in the deep, in, Oftentimes, what do we put there? Hurt, pain, anguish, resentment. But what, what's supposed to be there instead? To put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And that this just tells me what, friends? That we have to make a conscious decision. Because of our position before God, we must clothe ourselves daily in the deepest recesses of our heart with compassion. Can we... It's easy to appear compassionate. Amen? Um, track with me. It's easy to appear to be kind and appear to be humble and gentle. Maybe not gentle with me. I'm a little bit like a bull in a china shop. And patience, that one I struggle with too. Um, it's easy to appear that way. But he's not saying appear to put on. He's saying be it. Put on compassion and kindness and humility in the deepest recesses of our heart. Paul is not... This thing, this new self, is not a performance. It's not making sure you come to church and you look a certain way and you act a certain way. That's foolhardy. That's something else. That's chapter 2 in the distractions of the world. That's asceticism and legalism. To appear a certain way. Well, Paul is not saying, he's saying every day make a decision to be fully compassionate. To be truly kind and gentle and patient. But if you notice... You know, there are five qualities of what it means to put on a heart, to put on the new self. But if you notice here, there's five. Duh. But it also mirrors verse 5 and verse 8 of chapter 3. There are a list of five in each of those verses too. Anger, malice, slander. Why? Why does Paul add five? I think what Paul is doing in each of those verses, 3, 5, 3, 8, and 3, 12, he's saying, okay, which, one's, which one do you struggle with? Which one's lacking? We all have struggles. We all are impatient. Amen? If you got, you got kids in the room, anybody else impatient with kids? Man, okay, lock them in the room and, you know, throw food in there. It's fine. Um, lock them in the closet. <laughs> okay, man, just kidding. They'll see this. Uh, my, my children will see this 20 years from now and be like, what in the world? Okay. I think why Paul is saying this, he's trying to get us to say, which of those do we lack? Do we lack kindness and compassion? Do we lack humility? 
How can you tell if you lack humility? I, 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 I want, I deserve, I need, I, my idea, my thing. Gentleness and patience. But then notice in verse 13, in my opinion, Paul takes this last quality and then expands it to verse 13. Notice in your text with me, verse 13 says this. Oh, bearing with one another. Who's he talking to? He's talking about relationship together. The one another is specifically talking about our relationship with other believers. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so should you. Okay. Patience is seen in our ability to endure, putting up with one another, quite literally in the original language, and forgiving each other. Um, how, how many of you have ever gone to church with somebody that drives you crazy? And we can, let's just be honest. Okay. How many of you have ever gone to church with somebody that drives you crazy? Okay, all right, that means you've been in church before. Okay, it's called, it's called people. You know, um, we all have people in the church that drive us crazy. I mean, there's people that, you know, only show up for the free food. <laughs> okay, I'm like, and I'm like, wait a second, you haven't even paid for that. Anyways, show you what I struggle with. Okay, but sometimes, man, we just put up with each other. Amen. But, you know, let's, what do most people do when they bear with one another, when they just put up with somebody? If they actually, most people who are hurt in the church just run to the next one. They just run away. They don't actually fix the problem. They just run. And then, and then if we, but if we decide to stay, there's somebody in the room that just really just grates on our soul. And then we end up staying at that church with this person that just drives us crazy. Then what do we typically do towards that person? We might show that we're compassionate and kind, but really we become, what, resentful. You know, that's why Paul says the next phrase, that we are to put up with one another and we are to forgive each other. Um, if you live long enough in life, then you know that you, you, people will hurt you. Amen. It doesn't matter if it's family, it doesn't matter if it's a spouse, it doesn't matter if it's a church member, it doesn't matter if it's a co-worker, that people will just hurt you. But the question I have is not, will people hurt you? The question I have is, will you forgive them? Um, so many times somebody hurts us, and instead of actually forgiving them, why should we forgive? He says, just as the Lord forgave you, because He's given, the Lord's given us forgiven us this much we should forgive this much i'm reminded of the parable with the two debtors right that we're the person with the tiny debt right and god's the big debt and we just take our little pain our little hurt that somebody's made a snide comment 25 years ago and i just want to knock them upside the head okay and and if we don't run which i encourage you not to do then then we just grow angry anybody else relate to this one just deep down, we have resentment towards people. Friends, we are a family. We are part of the body of Christ that we need one another. Just running from your problems doesn't solve them. Matter of fact, it hinders your spiritual growth. If you're constantly running because of hurting the church and not forgiving people, if you have, let me just say, so 
How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you have a vivid memory of somebody in the church hurting you? Don't raise your hand. How many of you have a vivid memory that you can almost relive it today? What does that tell you? I got like a, I got like a library. <laughs> okay, all right. I got a lot of Rolodex of events in my life. Um, it tells you, you probably haven't forgiven them. Because what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is not this. It's not acting like it never happened. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is looking at the wound, taking it, lifting it, and putting it aside, and dropping it in the deepest part of the ocean, never to be revisited. That's forgiveness. It's not acting like it doesn't exist. Forgiveness means to let things go. Um, We are a family. If we run from problems, it will stunt your spiritual growth. If we run from problems and resent people here in this room, then we will never be united. I mean, how many of you like living with bitterness and resentment? I don't see many hands going up. But we all do. And if you don't grow up with bitterness and resentment, then you're probably the one causing it. Okay. So, it's true. Forgive each other. Because God has forgiven you for so much more. What if the Lord had his breaking point? You know, Byron, man, you, you, you messed up for the hundred and first time. Okay. So now you're out. Okay. What if the Lord did that to us? We have betrayed the Lord's trust. We have hurt him far more than anybody's ever hurt us. And if he can forgive us for all of our iniquity, then we can forgive other people. Let me just speak plainly. If you have hurts in this room, if people have wounded you, and you can revisit it fresh like that, you need to look at it, and you pick it up, and you need to remove it. And I'm talking to myself at this current moment, okay? We all have wounds. We cannot serve and really live out the new self with resentment and bitterness in our hearts. You know, why don't we forgive? Why don't we forgive people? Well, number one, we feel vindicated. That we are so hurt, so angry, that I just don't, I just want to be right, and I just want to, I just want to just, sometimes bitterness and anger is safer than forgiving people. Why else don't we forgive? We don't want the aggravation going up to somebody and saying, hey, man, I forgive you for what you did. And they're like, what did I do? You know, (laughs) and then you unearth all of it. And then number three, we feel that others, the reason, one of the reasons why we don't forgive is we feel like others should just get over it. But really, a lack of forgiveness is a lack of humility. Let me say that again. A lack of forgiveness is a lack of humility. It's pride. My hurt trumps God. My hurt trumps them. My hurt. My question is, before we move on to verse 14, is who do you need to forgive in this room? And part of, part of life, living in a family, a physical family with children or brothers and sisters, living part of a family of a church, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get wounded. You're going to feel betrayed. You're going to feel used. You're going to feel like people clobber you with the things that you shared in secret with them. People are going to share the deepest, darkest recesses of your heart that you shared with them. And guess what? We're all broken. 
It's part of it. Forgive. Let it go. Move on. Who in this room do you need to forgive? So we live out the new self by putting on compassion. But then we, point number two is this, and we find it in verse 14. Live the new self, clothe yourself in compassion and in love. And in love. Notice verse 14, it says this. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Now, really, in the original language, he says, above all these things, as kind of the icing on the cake. The more important, the one thing that summarizes compassion and kindness, all this is, do we truly love one another? Above all of these things, put on love. This is the pinnacle of the new life, is love. Loving God, loving others. That is the great commandment, which leads to a perfect bond of unity. The word bond here means joint So it talks about unity of the body. We'll see that also in verse 15. He's talking about if we truly want to be united as a result, we must forgive and we must love, which is the perfect bond of unity. This is the pinnacle. There are 59 one another's in the scripture, and 15 of them are to love one another. And according to Romans chapter 13, verse 8, loving one another even summarizes loving God. In other words, what? That if we really love one another, then we're really loving God. It's easy to love God because he saved us and he's nice to us and he gave us eternal life. But the test of whether we truly love him is do we love his people? Do we love one another even though they absolutely drive us bonkers? What is the enemy of loving one another? It is running from hurt and it is resenting one another. Allow me just to speak plainly. If you walk into this room and think about how someone else has hurt you or who you want to avoid, then you aren't living the new self. If you walk into this room and think about your preferences and differences or how this church doesn't measure up or whatever, then you aren't living the new self. Living the new self is to clothe yourself with compassion, leading to endurance and forgiveness. Living the new self is to clothe yourself in love leading to unity. The pinnacle of the new life, the picture that it should be, is do we truly love one another? But then he has kind of, he turns the tide, so to speak, verses 12 through 14, he's talking to Byron, he's talking to Jim Bob, he's talking to all, I don't think there's any Jim Bobs in the room, that's why I said that one, Um, so no one thought I was picking on him. Okay, Um, if you're Jim Bob, just see me after the service today. Um, He's talking to individual believers in 12 and 14. Forgive. Let it go. Put on love. But then he says, what do we ourselves do? What do we as a body of believers, what do we prioritize? So I see a different priority in 15, 16, and 17. Let the peace of Christ rule. So priority number one is peace. That we as a body of believers should be peaceful. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Let the peace of Christ rule. The word rule here means umpire, arbitrator. It gives us the idea of something that helps us discern what is good for the body. In other words, that let peace help us decide what is good for the body. Will it lead to more peace or more chaos? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called into one body. We are the family of God. We hold each other together. 
and be thankful. So the peace of Christ. Priority number one is a sense of peace. Um, how many of you have ever gone to a church and it's just at war? Yeah. Do you like going to church there? I mean, probably not. And if you like the fight, then you and I need to talk, okay? Um, we should have peace. Let me just say something real quick. Um, this, this is here. I mean, I, and I'm not just saying that because I'm up here. Calvary is very peaceful. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's, it's really peaceful. Do you wanna, if you want to tell how peaceful a church is, then what do you do? You go to your elder deacon meetings and you go to your annual business meeting. If those are peaceful, guess what? The church as a whole are peaceful. A priority of our lives together is peace. It's not chaos. It's not fighting. It's not having your way. It's not being right. It's not this. And it's peace and love. Sounds like the hippie movement. Okay. Verse 16. So let peace, priority number one, is peace. Priority number two, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. Priority number two is the word of Christ. That if we want to live our lives together, if we want to be a body, we must have the word of Christ present. Must richly dwell in you. Richly dwell, the original language, another translation had it, uh, copiously inhabiting. And I, was, I looked at what copious was. Um, it, it means like abundantly living within you. So let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. I believe the word you here is y'all. It's plural. Okay? Let the word of God inhabit us with all wisdom. How can we tell if the word of God is richly dwelling in us? Peace is unity. Here is teaching, admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. How can you tell if the word of God is present, teaching, admonishing, and what? Singing with thankfulness. That part of the word of God being present in the body of Christ is an attitude of thankfulness. Why does the word of... Okay, let me ask the question. You don't have to answer this, and I'm talking more than I normally do. Um, how many of you have ever met somebody uh, that knows the Bible and that clobbers you for it? Anybody else know that one? Yeah, Okay. And how many people ever use it against you? They're just kind of mean people with the word of God. That's not what he's saying here. What is the actual result of letting the word of God inhabit you? So we speak to one another, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, things of truth, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. Does that sound like legalism to, to you? It sounds like, think, why does the word of God make us happy? I mean, the world has it wrong. Let me just say it this way. I've heard so many non-believers say that Christianity and the Bible is all a list of do's and don'ts. And, and this That's not true at all. The Bible, the reason the Bible should make us happy, singing with thankfulness in your heart, is because of the message it provides. That the Bible is full of the redemptive plan of God. That you were once alienated, hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. And now because of the blood of Christ, you are now holy and blameless beyond reproach. How can you be mad about that? It's... If you actually let the word of God be in the church, it will come out of you. It will just spill out of your soul and you will have thankfulness. You will be happy. You won't be listening to do of do's and don'ts. If you find yourself to be grumpy and legalistic, you aren't letting the word of Christ richly dwell in you. 
But then notice the third piece, verse 17. Priority number three is his name, not mine. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks again here through him to God the Father. Living the new self together, we prioritize the name of Christ and not ourselves. Um, let's just be honest here. I think the American church, I'm not picking on, I don't like to pick on a lot of things. I really don't. I think it's, anyways, I'm just going to do it though right now. Um, I, I, think, I think the American church as a whole, a lot of what we do is about ourselves. Right? The way we do stuff is really about ourselves. But what does it say? Whatever you do, y'all do in Christians, whatever y'all do, do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. In other words, what? That every single thing that we do in here and outside of here, every word we say, every deed we do, budgets, meetings, grow group time, gear up, all worship services, all that should be designed to give the Lord glory. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. My point today is this, how, this is the question we answer, how do we live out the new self personally and together? This is the point, live out the new self, clothe yourself with compassion and with love, and then how do we live it together? Clothe yourselves in peace, the word, and in his name. This is how we live it out as a body in unity, how we live it out as a family of God. Live the new self, clothe yourselves in peace, the word, and in his name. So what? You know, how does this apply to my life? I got three questions and I will wrap up. Three questions I'd like to leave you with. Number, first question I have has to do with last week. It has to do with taking off this smelly, dirty, thrift store purchased old jacket. This represents the old self. I'm going to ask you again this week. Where is the old nature living within you? Where is the old nature living within you? If you want to know the questions, they're on the sermon notes. There's some in the back and over there. You can grab it on your way out. Where is the old nature, the old sin-ridden, disgusting, filthy, dusty, slandering, malice, anger living within you? It's an honest question. We all have it. We all like to appear that we don't have it, but we all have areas of our life that we can work on. Amen? Amen, somebody? Amen? Okay. Where is he living? Question number two is this. Who do you need to forgive? Who specifically at church do you need to forgive? We put up with one another, and even if we continue to go to the same church and we see that person, we then struggle to not resent them. Friends, who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Um, We all have wounds. We all have bitterness and anger. We all... um, And if we just ignore those, then they will pile up and they will become a burden to ourselves and we will fail to really live the life we can live for Christ. Bitterness is like drinking poison, hoping it, it affects and hurts someone else. Bitterness 
and resentment and anger and malice and slander is poison to your soul. It just is. We have to forgive. To look at the pain. Don't ignore it. Look at it. Decide to let it go. Pick it up, move it aside, and drop it in the deepest part of the ocean, never to be revisited again. Tracking with me? Question number two is, who do you need to forgive? And then question number three is, which of the three priorities do you personally lack? It's not a shame thing. I'm not guilting anyone. We all have our problems. So which of the three do you lack? Peace, the word, or him over me? Typically, it's the last one. Most commonly, it's the last one, especially here. You know, we got the word. We're at peace. You know, it's a good, and I'm not, I'm going to say something. I love this church. I really do. And I'm not just saying that because I'm up on stage and y'all help pay my bills. Thank you. Um, I mean it. I really do. Like, this is a, this is a really great church. It really is. It's healthy. It's peaceful. It's united. We most of the time get along. Okay. Um, but a lot of what we do is not for God. It's for ourselves. I want, I need, I want this, I want this song, I want this, I don't like him, I don't like her, I don't like, but that's not what we're called to be. How do we live out the new self personally and together? Living out the new self personally, we should put on, clothe ourselves in the deepest recesses of our souls with compassion and love, and we should clothe ourselves in peace, the word, and for his name, him and not me. Uh, before I close, uh, if you do not know Christ Jesus, all this is nonsense. I mean, you're not, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're not born again. You're not a new creation. Um, you do not have the Spirit of God living within you. That's the truth. I know it's not politically correct. We just like to tell everybody they're Christians, but this just ain't so. Um, if you've never trusted in Christ Jesus, if you've never believed in Him, surrendered to Him, given your life to Him then today is a great opportunity to bow your head before him and believe in his son and be born again. That he came and he died, he rose again to save us from our sins. So our certificate of debt would be taken out of the way. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. Um, it's just, this one is just really hits close to home. There's something in here that we all struggle with, whether it's forgiveness or patience or compassion or kindness or humility i mean we all have our warts lord and i just pray that we would desire to become more like your son that we would desire to look at our wounds and to forgive and to move forward lord thank you for the grace that you freely bestow on us that you've called me chosen and holy and loved um lord pray for those that do not know you as savior that do not have a relationship with god i pray that they would uh, come before you and that they would uh, believe in your son, that they would repent of their sin, they would see the need for Jesus, and they would trust in you for their eternal life. Um, Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for this church and all the ways that you're working. In Jesus' name, amen.